Here's what, here's what I love about like talking with Maeva as somebody who worked in a slaughterhouse who was like uh, meat every day, yep. all day, every meal. Cheese is a staple. Cheese, cheese is a staple. Milk or need it. <laughs> you know, I need milk with my cheese for sure. You know, <laughs> but, um, but like being like that person and, and this like vegan activist who was like interested in me as a person and this sort of like can kind of go back to how Anthony Rayson was sort of interested in me as a person, you know, me being a, a white supremacist, him being an anarchist and, you know, like it, it was the, it's these kinds of things that really like, in my case, in my experience, allowed me to drop a lot of those like preconceived ideas and a lot of those barriers and walls you know it's the approach we have to people hello veggie mates you just heard from this week's special guest jace carter i'm your host matthew davey and it is great to be back with you all for another episode of the veg talk podcast thanks for hanging around anna and i took a week off from the uploading over the thanksgiving break for a number of reasons i think i'll update everyone with a midweek podcast soon to keep you all updated on where we're at and our plans for 2020. I hope everyone is enjoying the holiday period wherever you're listening in from. Anna and I had an awesome time at our first Friendsgiving with mates up in Washington. Also headed to the Oregon coast for some fresh air and I helped out some friends with a surprise engagement photo shoot. Uh, That was the first time I'd done anything like it and it was an amazing experience. So thank you uh, to Dylan for inviting me out there and congrats to you and Caitlin on your engagement. Before we get into the show, I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners over in Germany, Nastasia. It was awesome to hear from you. Thank you so much for sending us a voice message through our Instagram uh, page. We really do appreciate your support and would love to meet up one day, whether that be in Germany or America. Now, let's shift our attention to this week's episode with Jace Carter. I'll start by sending out a language warning on this one for anyone planning to listen with kids in the room. I'd really recommend chucking on some headphones. This was a conversation like no other I've had before in my entire life. I want to thank Jace for being so open and honest with his story and hope this episode helps us to understand what it's like to live a life that is not considered normal or where there's been violence in the person's past and they're looking to get that behind them. I'll keep the intro short as we chat with Jace for just over two hours today. He's been previously involved with a white supremacist movement uh, and spent approximately 10 years in the American prison system for crimes not related to his work in the white supremacy movement. He's experienced an incredible transformation in terms of his beliefs and this occurred during his time in the Oregon prison system where he spent an extended period of time in solitary confinement. Jace has also worked in a slaughterhouse while he was incarcerated in the state of Washington. Ironically, this job led him to meet his now girlfriend, Maeva, and you'll hear all about how that came to be in this episode as well as his switch to a vegan diet. I know this conversation is not anything like we've done before on the podcast, so I would like to add that in no way, shape or form do I condone racism, nor is this intended on glorifying violent acts within our society. 
This conversation is intended to give Jace the opportunity uh, to tell his story and show that transformation is possible no matter how bad things can get in your life. Hearing about how Jace is beginning to turn his life around uh, firsthand was really extraordinary. I hope you enjoy the show. And as always, I'll catch you on the other side to wrap things up. All right, we're rolling. Cool. We're, uh, we're here looking over the city of Portland, Oregon today with Jace Carter. Um, we, were on a, we were on a Portland vegan group. Well, actually, I can't claim that. Anna was on a Portland vegan group asking for cool people to interview. And uh, Jace popped up and I, I can't remember who recommended you. But you jumped in and said, yeah, I'm down. So, Jace, welcome to the Veg Talk podcast. We're, we're really stoked to have you here, man. Thank you. So, Jace, I think you've got a, an incredible story. Um, we chatted on the phone a few, a few days ago and I got to hear, you know, a little bit about yourself. And, yeah, I'm really keen to share it with, with everyone today. So, nice. I mean, let's, let's kick it off. Like, where, whereabouts in this uh this world did you you know where did you grow up and um you know what were you doing as a kid how did you end up in oregon how'd you you get here um okay so uh, i guess from the beginning um let's see uh grew up mostly in california um southern california uh Mojave Desert area, um, San Diego, San Bernardino, et cetera. And then um, I'd say probably in my very early teens, maybe, you know, 12, 13, 14, something like that, my family and I moved up to Oregon, um, Central Oregon. And um, I've pretty much considered Central Oregon my home since then, um, although I've pretty much traveled my whole life too and um just kind of west coast hopping you know what kind of travel have you done um well started off with uh, hitchhiking and freight trains um and uh did that for several years um just kind of street life shit you know um how does that go hitchhiking on a, on a freight train is it like the movies is it well well hitchhiking and freight trains like it's like it could be like certain movies maybe um or books like it's got a kind of a is it a Thoreau kind of feel about it hopping across America freight trains and um you know hitchhiking your way across the country yeah it's um it's definitely an interesting lifestyle and it's one that I think will define you for the rest of your life, kind of no matter what you eventually move into, like you kind of have to bring that with you, you know, it's because it's so, it's, it's an extreme lifestyle. Um, And as a kid, which most people start doing that type of thing in their, you know, in their early teens, if not younger, and you're seeing a lot of like traumatic shit, you know, to be honest, you know, you're, you're seeing people robbed, beaten, stolen, from killed etc and everything in between there you know you're starving um you're cold and you know the next day you're you have money full uh, a pocket full of money and you're warm and it's you know so it's you just never know what's going to happen next you know what i mean and 
it could be good. Chances are it's going to be bad, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely thrilling, and it definitely, I would say, can open, you know, your um, – can open your ideas and your thoughts up to a lot of avenues and just um, ideas that most people I don't think can really – even accept you know or, or wrap their heads around so I, there's there's that there's a lot of benefits i think from it you know just having those experiences yeah cool you know? yeah because at the end of the day i mean you know when it's all said and done like all you really have is the things you've gone through and the things you've learned you know definitely and so i think uh i think that counts for something yeah your own lived experience it's all you can really go off yeah for sure yeah that's no that's really interesting so you but you were in your young early teens mid teens when you started doing this yeah yeah early teens cool yeah. cool where'd you travel to um well like i said or oregon pretty much became my home and you know okay. portland being like the bigger sort of you know city in, in oregon sort of became like a place for me um eugene oregon um Bend, Oregon, which is, you know, Central Oregon, um, uh, Seattle, um, San Diego, L.A., Cool. you know, pretty much anywhere up and down the West Coast. Arizona became like kind of a, a second home for me, you know, around the Phoenix area, okay. Albuquerque, Palm Springs. Wow. On and on, you know, but yeah, mostly West Coast. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, you're right, like. I don't think a lot of people can relate to the idea of traveling in their early teens. Yeah. On your on your own. Especially like on their own. Yeah. Well, right. you know, with other teens. Yeah. You know. Kicking about. Yeah. So how did you get how did you get into this position? You wanted to get out of home and explore? Yeah, yeah. Just you know, just um maybe some people are just more inclined to to just like go explore, you know? Um some a lot more than others, maybe, um, you know, and <clears throat> not to like uh, put any blame or fault on my mother or anything, but um, she was a single mom with three kids doing the best she best she could, you know, and um, so there wasn't a whole lot of discipline, you know, um, and um, to be fair to her, too, like I was kind of an asshole, you know, um, wasn't a lot of discipline and I wanted less, you know, and um so I just sort of like found my way out and um, just, yeah, I did a lot of exploring, you know, got in trouble a lot with the law, um, you know, which is just, that's just a, a part of that whole lifestyle. And um, yeah, and I've, I've basically been traveling, you know, I'm uh, 40 years old now and I've basically been doing that my entire life. You know, not, you know, I graduated from, you know, freight trains to, you know, having my own vehicle, you know, and then from having my own vehicle to having like a nice sized van and like, you know, from like doing like little criminal things to like, you know, doing artwork and, and things like that. So, you know, you become better at what you do over time and, you know, you've, you've fine tuned, you know, your, your kind of art, you, you've yeah. fine tuned it. Yeah. That's cool. So I suppose getting in trouble with the law, how did that begin? What, what were you getting in trouble doing <coughs> well um 
I guess my first run-ins with the law was just, you know, being outside when it's dark, you know, um, at the age I was outside and, you know, you see, um, some kid outside hanging outside the fucking Seven Eleven or whatever. And, and, you know, cops want to know what the fuck's, what's this guy doing out here? You know, like, where's your parents? Things like that. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I was kind of an asshole as a child, right? Whatever. Um, and so I was being an asshole to the cops too. And so I developed that type of relationship with the police, you know, um, and, um, you know, not, not even really doing anything criminal, just being out and just, just, just being out, you know, and just having, you know, authority just, um, assert itself, you know, over me for no real reason. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> you know, and there was, you know, obviously a point too, where, you know, the cops in the neighborhood, knew that I lived at this address. They knew that my home situation, they knew who my parents were. They knew I was just, you know, I'd be out skateboarding most of the times, you know? Um, and they knew that, you know, they knew I was no real threat, but they would still just, Oh, here's that fucking asshole kid. You know what I mean? And so they would want to come fuck with me and things like that. My first, like <clears throat> my first actual crime, if you want to call it that was a burglary charge. And that's when I was 12 years old. And um, I was, it was me and one of my friends from school. And we were, you know, we, we went out at night, you know, um, I think he would have to like sneak out or something. So like we would, we would go out like after hours or whatever and like hang out at this like school. <clears throat> and um, like a, it was like a, I don't know, a kindergarten or something like that. And it had some little like, uh, like jungle gym equipment and, um, and there was, you know, it was me, my friend, and there was a few other kids who would kind of come around there. And that's where, like, you know, we'd hang out or whatever. And there was one night we were, um, we climbed onto the roof and we were, like, pulling tile, like, the, um, the shingles off the roof and, like, seeing how far we could throw them, you know. And, um, and uh, somebody called the cops and cops came and, uh, didn't want to hear what we were saying. You know, sure, we shouldn't have been doing that, but fuck, come on, man, we're 12 years old. We're just, you know, didn't really know any better or anything, but um, cops didn't want to hear it, took us to jail, charged us with burglary, and um, that sort of, like, began, like, my real, like, criminal career. You know, that's when I first... And, and here's the thing, too, is <clears throat> at that time, I was... Um, too young to be put with the rest of the population in jail. So my first um, jail experience um, as a 12-year-old child was eight days in solitary confinement um, until they figured out what they wanted to do with me. And then, you know, they released me to my mother. And so... How, how was that experience at 12 being... Oh, it was fucking traumatic. Yeah, man. right. Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking yeah. traumatic. Like, there's there's nothing, you know, <clears throat> anymore, you know, going through everything I've gone through. Like, I, I could just do eight days of solitary confinement and just take a nap, you know what I mean, and get up and go about my business and just chalk it up, you know. But as a 12-year-old kid, you're, you're fucking, you, you can't process that shit. No. You know what I mean? You just can't. And no. so, yeah, and that was the beginning of, of my whole, I would say, like, my, my real relationship with, like, you know, the law, the legal system, et cetera. So, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I can totally get that. I think 
you know, even rewinding back in my head to 12 years old, mm. I kind of have to really picture like what I was doing. Yeah. At that age, I would have <laughs> been, I think I would have been in like grade six or grade seven, like at that age. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you know, to, to go through something like that would be absolutely an imprint on your mind yeah. and your, you know, your being. You would be carrying that for a, a very long time. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like a milepost. Yeah. You know. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. So from there, from, you know, let's your first run in with the law, your first real mm. run in with the law. How does it kind of evolve from there? Cuz I understand that you, you know, you have a history with the white supremacy movement. Mm -hmm. And when does that kind of come into play uh for you? Um well, the whole the whole um, white supremacist movement didn't really um, come into play as like an established thing in my life um, until uh, I think I was I think I was like just turning eighteen um, thereabout um, and. Um, well, after after my that that first arrest right there, I was on probation, and so from there it was just um, institutions, you know, institutional foster homes, and I'd run away, you know, they'd arrest me somewhere else, ship me back, institutional foster homes, et cetera, et cetera, um, <coughs> and um, when uh, when I would leave those places, I would go be on the streets, you know, doing the whole traveling thing and um, and all that, and. Uh, I, 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 that's really when I like kind of took to Arizona a lot too, because it was warmer, you know? Um, and, um, down there, there was, you know, basically in the, the little scene where I was kicking it, it was, you know, punk rockers and skinheads, you know, and, and they were, they didn't really, um, like clash too much down there because they were all like neighborhood people, you know, they all knew each other. They just kind of let things stand how they were or whatever but i kind of always like more lean towards like the whole punk rock side of things um you know i was never really like there was never like a natural inclination towards racism or any kind of like discrimination bigotry anything like that it was all sort of like it, it came around it came around sort of um by just uh circumstance you know this weird like chain of circumstances i guess <clears throat> um and uh i that that sort of happened like i said um right around the time i was turning 18 uh i don't want to get too much into this story because it's like extremely personal and um um just it involves other people that it's just not my business to you know um put out but um we were a, a, a group of of kids um, that had, I, you know, sort of conglomerated in Phoenix. Um, we had all decided to go to um, Albuquerque um, as the seasons changed, and uh, I had gone with a certain um, number of people, and we'd ended up in Albuquerque, and. Uh, some really, 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 really traumatic, serious, bad shit happened in Albuquerque. And um, 
and eventually I, I had gone back to Phoenix and, um, and, and at that point I was kind of mind fucked, you know, I, I was just completely like at a loss for like any sort of like rationale or, <clears throat> you know, any way to sort of like process, um, the things that had happened in Albuquerque. And, uh, so going through those motions, um, I was just looking for answers, you know, and, um, I guess to sort of, you know, make it just a little bit easier to understand, I guess, uh, I was just looking for answers, you know, some sort of explanation onto like, you know, why and how, you know, things like these happen. And, um, to put it bluntly, um, you know, it was the skinheads who had the answers, you know, um, they, you know, they were the ones who, and even before all that, you know, they, they were, they, they, to be, you know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to like glorify the beliefs or, or anything like that, but, you know, even before that, you know, it was always like the skinhead dudes who would like, Hey, what's up little dude. And, you know, and they, they would kind of look out for the neighborhood, you know, and they, they kind of like keep. So they know, gave you a sense of purpose or they gave you a, a uh, kind of like a group feel like you were wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and the, the whole punk rock thing, it was, it was basically the skinheads, punk rock. That was kind of the, the two real like options you had in those neighborhoods, and it was like the the punk rockers they kind of did that too, but just less. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like like the skinhead crowd was always kind of like you know yeah like we got the answers and we don't need drugs and we don't this and we're about this. And they had like this like more like like solid seeming. Um, like purpose, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, most punk rockers around there, they had, they had ideas and purpose also, but they were also the ones, you know, getting fucked up and, and just not really doing shit. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, the whole me coming into that whole movement was, yeah, they, they, <clears throat> you know, uh, kind of looked out for me, you know, um, and when I needed somebody, to, and I, I skated with some of them too, you know, um, I've always ridden skateboards and stuff. And, um, <clears throat> you know, they, they helped me process a lot of those, those things I was going through, a lot of those ideas I was going through and things started to make sense. And just to give you <clears throat> a better idea of what I'm talking about. So, um, <clears throat> so to give you like a, a better sense of like, um, what I'm talking about is, um, it was essentially, you know, the explanation, I'll just give you the explanation mm-hmm. that I was basically given, which was that, you know, the fucking Mexicans um, who who come into our borders and come into our country and corrupt our kids and, you know, give drugs to our kids and, you know, rape our women and, you know, leech off our welfare system and, and all this... And, you know, it's like, so it's like the Mexicans, it was, it was the Mexicans, right? Like, and, and, you know, of course they expand on all those things and you can make any idea make sense, any fucking idea you can make that make sense, you know, especially to someone who doesn't know better than to, you know, critique and question the sense that you're making with those ideas, right? So like as, as somebody, even though it could be the most illogical backwards way of thinking you know we have enough words to where we can make it seem like the most fucking you know enlightened shit right um 
and that's sort of what happened you know you so and it also gives you a target it gives you somebody to be angry at you know what i mean somebody to blame other than your own self your own culture your own system you know and so <clears throat> um so yeah it gave me a place to place my anger um it gave me a a, a target you know it gave me um uh um, you could channel that anger and put it towards something. Yeah. And you've got a group of people that all agree with you. Right. Or, or you agree with them. Yeah. And you've got a joint cause. Yeah. And I can totally exactly. see that. Like as a young kid, you know, you're angry at the world. You're angry at your situation. You're angry at your experience. People get around you. It feels warming. Yeah. That you've got these people around you. Right. They give you an idea and you take that idea on. Yeah. You believe everything that they're giving you. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in return for you agreeing with them or uh, in, in return for you joining their cause, you, I suppose you got a feeling that you'd never had before. Just a group of people that you can really depend upon and and be a part of a group is it would that be yeah. somewhat correct yeah well yeah and it's it's more than that too because even before that i had that sort of like sense of belonging with just you know the the people that i was with on the street you know but but we didn't have any fucking purpose you know what i mean our purpose was to get high got it um our purpose was to you know find something to eat you know mm -hmm. find somewhere warm to sleep you know what I mean? And so this was like, it, it, it just, it, it was a greater it, purpose, a greater purpose, man. And it's so much larger than your own mm -hmm. self. And you have this, all this support, like you said too, um, these support and these like people that, um, co-sign and reinforce all these ideas. And, you know, in any time you take one of their ideas and tell somebody else that idea, like it's yours, they pat you on the back and you know and yeah yeah and, and it's so there's that fulfillment too and there's there's a, a lot of those things you know it's a lot of it is really just um basic cult behavior mm -hmm. you know but it's more than basic cult behavior also you know um and it just so happens that this idea <laughs> and i get it like you know an idea can be planted in anyone it can seem yeah. crystal clear it can seem logical mm. no matter how hateful spiteful disgusting the idea might be yeah so how does this turn into jail time well um it, it wasn't um i didn't get arrested uh, you know go to prison you know i was still wrapped up in the system mm -hmm. so still just kind of doing that stuff too and um um there was a point too when i had um you know, gone straight edge, you know, because, um, if you're doing drugs and stuff, you're, um, you're, uh, polluting your, your superior blood and so forth. Right. Um, and so, uh, and so, um, but it's okay to drink and smoke cigarettes <laughs> and eat whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, uh, a positive thing about that is like, you know, I, I gotten like my first real clean time out of it. Um, quit doing drugs, quit drinking, quit smoking and all that for, uh, it didn't last a year, you know? 
but still it was lasted several months. <clears throat> and, um, then, um, I relapsed and, um, and when I relapsed, I relapsed hard. I, um, was driving while I was high and, um, got in a high speed chase. Cops tried to pull me over. I had a gun and some drugs in the car. Wasn't trying to deal with that. So I took him on a chase. Um, <clears throat> got into a wreck. Um, imagine that. Uh, and, um, yeah, so that, that was my first prison sentence and that was a three year sentence. Um, <clears throat> whatever the crimes were, uh, reckless driving, eluding the police and a slew of other shit that goes with it. Um, yep. You know, driving with no license, et cetera. Gotcha. And when, <clears throat> when you were put into prison, where was that? Was that in Oregon? Was Oregon. It, it was in Oregon. Yeah. So once you are sentenced to three years, I suppose, I don't know, that would be hard to come to terms with, having to understand, wrap your head around the fact that you were going to be spending three years, you know, in jail, kind of losing your freedom to be outside. And then what happens on the inside? What, what did you discover? <clears throat> what did you discover in prison? Um, that everybody in prison is full of shit. Okay, everybody. Um, <clears throat> cops, prisoners, like everybody's full of shit. Um, no, but um, yeah, it was, it was, what's funny too is, you know, being in and out of jail my entire life. You know, I've done six month sentences in jail, things like that. But yeah, when I got that three years, I think I might have actually like cried a little bit. You know, like what, what? You know, like just, but you know, looking back like three years in prison, I, I've done more than that in solitary confinement at this point. And it's, you know, um, we can get into that, but, um, what did I discover? Um, I know, I know the question you're getting at. Uh, so while I was in prison, um, that first time, <clears throat> you know, um, being a, a skinhead superstar, white power guy, um, I was, um, involved with a, a certain organization I won't mention, did a record distribution for, um, white supremacist record label that I won't mention, um, so going into prison, I was, you know, well-received, you know, um, especially in Oregon where it's even the prisons are, are white as fuck. I think the prisons are like, you know, 60 to 70% white, which and, is and like an anomaly compared to the rest of the country. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> so it's easy to be a racist in the prison system in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So everybody's a, a racist, you know, um, and so if you come in and you're like, oh, well, you're an actual like skinhead and you're from this actual organization, oh shit, right? So yeah, I was, I was like really well received and um, <clears throat> just, just spent some time, you know, like uh, doing the kind of shit I guess you would just expect a skinhead in prison to do, you know, and that's basically, you know, um, be a loud, obnoxious asshole, um, pick fights, um, bully people around, you know, just basic bullshit. And, uh, so, um, what I had discovered though, while I was in, in there that first time was, um, well, I'll just tell you the story a little bit. So we gotten into a riot. Okay. It was, uh, white guys against, I think it was like Southsiders and, uh, maybe it was, uh, the natives or something like that. Just, uh, you, you know, what a riot prison riot is 
basically a fist fight or knife or what you know shanks or whatever happens in there but it's basically just a fight between two different gangs or different sides different sides or maybe you know inmates against cops if it's a, a worthy riot but that rarely happens um <clears throat> but yeah it was uh whites against uh southsiders and natives and um we all ended up in solitary confinement over it um in oregon if you get into they call it a disturbance if you get into a riot um and for a disturbance you'll do six months in the hole and then from there you'll go do at least another six months in the program which is the hole so you're doing at least a year in the hole at least a year in solitary confinement at that point i had about a little over a year left so you're in solitary confinement you know what you, you basically got options of either you know spending your time drawing writing letters um, doing push-ups and reading uh, fantasy books or you know or, or westerns or something or reading you know more academic stuff do you, and, um, do you have choice over what you can read are you able to ask for certain literature are you able to ask for certain books <laughs> Well, what, what's the yeah? What's the uh, the extent of the freedom around that? See, it's that's one of those tricky things. They're they're not allowed to limit you in what you're reading unless it becomes, and this is important, unless it um, promotes, advocates, or encourages a threat to the institution or the staff they're in. Right? It might be word for word. Um, <laughs> you might have heard but, that a few times. <laughs> yeah. um, well, a big part of like my later activism was like centered around a lot of that. But um, but um, yeah, they 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 can't really tell you what you can't read, but they don't have to provide it for you either. Okay, so if you want to read certain things, then you have to go outside the prison. You know, when I say that, I mean like write letters and. Uh, write letters mm -hmm. you know and um, hope people get those letters and then hope they respond and you, ha you have to build relationships with you know people that run book distributions and things like that, that that's if you want to really get into some literature you know um, or, or you can order books out of catalogs too at hyperinflated prices there's there's different avenues so you can get material sent in right? mm -hmm. how do you how do you so if they're at hyperinflated prices how does a prisoner go about affording those you can either uh, beg your family mm -hmm. or friends that you might have on the outside, maybe if you have them on the outside. Um, you can work different hustles to have other prisoners that do have money, you know, order them in. But that's a big fucking pain in the ass, too, because the prisons have this prisoner can't write a check under his name to a company and have that company send a book back in this person's name without you know because if you're sending a check out to a company the prisoner the the, the staff are going to read that mail so you can't tell the, the company that hey can you I mean, here's a check for this book can you send it to this other prisoner the staff are going to stop that you know so but there's you just really got to work your angles you know um also there's a lot of extortion you know people just like like I, I need this thing. You have it. You're weaker than me. I'm going to take it. You know, there's a lot of that shit. And that shit happens. Schoolyard bullying, it sounds like. Schoolyard Taking bullying. your lunch yeah. money. Yeah. Um, yeah, prison politics. I call it preschool politics. Because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exactly that, you know. Um, 
wild. Yeah, yeah. I, I eventually, here's, here's what's interesting is, you know, I was, my whole motive was to <clears throat> become a better skinhead, you know, become a better, I don't want to say skinhead because I'm, I'm still kind of, but I'm an anti-racist skinhead these days, right? But um, a, a white supremacist. Um, my whole goal is to become a better white supremacist, you know, to know more, to be able to educate, you know, uh, these, these young white kids, you know, more on their white culture and, and things like that. Right. And, um, <clears throat> so I had, you know, extended my correspondences to different book distributors and, and different people that would work with me. And, um, some of those book distributors were anarchists. I think a couple were some communists too, maybe, but, um, one guy I'll mention specifically was Anthony Rayson of um, Anarchist Black Cross in Chicago, South Chicago, um, South Chi ABC. Um, another guy I'll, I'll mention is Ed Mead, who's like an extraordinary, both of those people are just like extraordinary, extraordinary people, um, have like extraordinary stories. Um, Ed Mead has a great book I recommend called Lumpin'. Um, which is about the lower class and his, I, I'll, I won't get into too much into him, but Ed Mead's a great guy. Anthony Rayson's a great guy. Um, Ed Mead's a communist. Anthony Rayson's an anarchist. And they were both down to send me literature and start corresponding with me. Um, but they never sent me any white supremacist literature. They sent me like, like, you know, uh, zines and like pamphlets and books uh, like, um, the argument against white supremacy and, and, you know, and like things like that. And he'd be like, and it would be small things. Anthony Rayson would mostly do it. You know, it'd be small things first and he'd be like, yeah, read this and then tell me what you think. And I'm like, all right, I'm up for a challenge, you know? And so I'd read it and I'd tell him what I thought. And, and we, you know, we go back and forth and, <clears throat> and, um, there were, there were other people too that I was corresponding with too on those same kinds of levels. And you know what, over time, um, and it was, I, I, really um like to credit their patience with me and i think it's a good example for other people to if 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 a white supremacist or or any kind of fash is out there willing to you know read your stuff or or have like a civil conversation with you don't bash them because all you're going to do is entrench them in their beliefs and they're just going to go on defensive attack mode right that's what people do and it was like their willingness to communicate with me as a human being um and to not jump to criticisms about my ideas that allowed me to let my guard down and to be more open to their ideas and it was through that that while i was in solitary confinement that was my first time um, doing, you know, any length of time in solitary confinement. So it was during that year <clears throat> in solitary confinement that I started to really, you know, allow myself to doubt those beliefs that I had, you know, forced myself to accept, if that makes sense. Totally. Through that, you know... Um, I had just eventually decided to, and here's what's funny is it, it wasn't like 
really established like beliefs that I started dropping, it was walls. You know, it was like these fortifications that I had built up, you know, around, around, um, not just those beliefs, but just like myself, you know, against, and that's what, that's the thing about like, um, like fascism and, and, you know, white supremacy and just, you know, heterosexism, racism, all these different things that, um, that we sort of like, I don't mean we, but like, you know, we as a, a society that we, um, that we, we put those things out there as if we're the ones who are, um, like critiquing or, um, you know, or like, like, like to put it as in a way that we have like a better way or the solution to your, you know, homosexuality, the solution to your, um, your race or your gender identity or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, but really all those things are, is just walls. They're just like, they're just defense mechanisms because there's something going on here that we can't come to terms with. Right. Or, or that we can't like accept or even like allow ourselves to explore right in our minds. So we have to constantly be extending those, those like accusations or those, um, ideas, questions, yeah, just just those, you know, those threats or those like, mm-hmm. you know, the, it, it's more aggressive than questions, you know, um, blame or, or different okay. things like that. We have to constantly extend those things outward so we don't have to explore those things in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever those those things may be, as long as we're victimizing other people and blaming other people, then we never have to take a true look at our own selves, you know. And so as I started to. um let down a lot of those, um, those guards and those beliefs and, and allow myself to explore those, you know, alternative ideas. Like it it sort of became apparent to me at at certain points that it it wasn't, it wasn't so much, um, the beliefs that, that I was holding as it was those, those walls that I was holding and allowing those things to drop to accept or, or to, even like um, allow myself to consider accepting somebody else's ideas, thoughts, beliefs, etc. While studying the materials, um, while while reading those materials and like studying things and like and just like taking them at at their own value as opposed to like reading them from like this judgmental sort of position, just taking a true examination of what I'm you know what I'm reading and. So what do you think allowed you to, because, you know, you, yeah. you said you went in to solitary confinement with the idea that I'm going to become a better Nazi. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, I'm going to become a better Nazi. Yeah. What allowed you to read something and take it on its own merits? What allowed you to not go, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, and allowed you to actually go, huh, okay, I see what they're talking about or I'm going to ask some questions to them or, you know, what allowed you to actually take this information on rather than just shove it aside? Um, I think at first I, I only read and like, like really like read it, the stuff, because I was being like directly challenged by Anthony Rayson. And y'all should check him out if you ever get a chance. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. a great guy. He does great things. Um, 
but but like not not aggressive challenging sort of more like um like Just facetiously you know um subtle subtle yeah <laughs> um and i'm like all right you know all right you fucking uh you know, you call me fucking bastard. I'll read your, I'll read your shit and I'll, I'll fucking, you know, and I'll, I'll debunk it. <laughs> debunk it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so my motivation at first was, was that, you know, it was like, Oh, okay. I'm up for a nice challenge. You know, I'm just, I got nothing better to fucking mm-hmm. do anyways. Right. And also it'll help me learn your, your shit better. So I'll know how to, you know, combat your shit better. And, and, you know, there's all those things that go into it. But um, I, I think just enough exposure, and I, I still like I still say the same thing all the time. I think you know when people start just challenging the beliefs I have now, which is anti-fascism and and you know like really you know radically progressive ideas, is like I, I don't even get into a lot of arguments with people anymore because I just tell them, look, like you know I think that with enough exposure to these ideas, you'll eventually come around, you know. And I'm not gonna like go back and forth and argue with people you know either take a true look at it or don't you know cool waste of energy waste of time to kind of get in an argument yeah yeah yeah. a lot of yeah most of the time it is because people are just looking to put up the wall defensive mechanisms you can you you know it's yeah it's funny how many parallels you can draw with other movements i don't think it really matters what movement there's one side opposing and there's one side for if it ends in an argument there's a whole lot of non-listening going on yeah a lot of yelling yeah yeah for sure and and not much is being taken in yeah so as you begin to unlearn you know what you've basically you know become a part of over the last what six seven years since you were more or less 12 years old to 18 Mm, you know yeah yeah that's been a part of your your life you begin to unlearn it Was there a point, and if I'm fast-forwarding too far, just let me know, but was there a point where you come back into the prison system after unlearning a lot of, you know, this white <clears throat> supremacy literature and, um, you know, these people have exposed you to new ideas. When you got back into the regular prison system, were you confronted with, people that were still the same as when they went into solitary confinement did they did you have confrontation with them what was it i mean i can i'm just trying to i'm trying to get into your shoes and i can imagine going into this place where you spend what 23 hours is it indoors you get one hour is that true Uh, you, you you have an option to come out of your cell um every uh uh, it's not even 23 hours, but you, you have an option to come out of your cell every so many hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's up to them when they want to give you that option and it's up to you whether or not you want to take it. So if they come at your cell at four o'clock in the fucking morning in the middle of December and say, Hey, you ready for your hour out on the, uh, mm-hmm. little gym we have here? Um, when it's snowing and like, you know, fucking 10 degrees outside, uh, you're not going out there. And that's Fahrenheit no. for everyone. <clears throat> yeah, <that's> right. yeah. <laughs> not Celsius, but yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And then you're in there for another 23 or whatever yeah. until they come back and ask you if you want your hour. Yeah. So you go and into then the- a shower every uh, three days a week. So that's, that counts too as a part of your 
Time out. Time out, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just really trying to understand, okay, I'm going into this place. I'm going to spend 365 days on my own. I want to get better at this. I want to, get a, I want to become a better white supremacist. Then I start unlearning all of this. I start unlearning all this through these two people that are sending me stuff. They're challenging <laughs> me to basically challenge my own beliefs. And then eventually I'm going to get let out of this place. I'm going to get let out of this hole where I've spent the last year on my own. But I come out a different person. I come out with different ideas. I come out being exposed to a different way of thinking. But what happens when you meet the exact same people a year later? And uh, yeah, I, I imagine that not everyone had the same experience as you in, in solitary confinement. How, does that, how, how did that kind of engagement go with those people? You know what's funny though is that here's an interesting thing too is that a lot of people do have that same experience. Okay. If not, you know, exactly how I did, a lot of people, you go into solitary confinement, you do a lot of motherfucking, you know, introspection. Mm -hmm. you, you do a lot of reflection, whether you want to or not. I mean, you're, you're self analysis, that's the name of the game in there, right? Um, a, lot of, a lot of, you know, skinheads. You know, and when I say pr skinheads, I'm talking about prison skinheads, which are all, you know, white power skinheads, mm -hmm. right? You know, a lot of the, you know, these skinheads, they go into solitary confinement in there and they do the, they go through those same sort of like introspective processes and things. And I've talked to dozens, you know, dozens and dozens over the years who are willing to talk to me about these things because they know that I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not with that shit anymore, you know? And so they'll, they, they'll come and like, we'll conversate and they'll, they'll be like, um, like, yeah, dude, it's bullshit. I know, dude. And you know, but, but I'm just trying to get through my sentence without any problems. So staying I, with just, the pack. So they just, yeah. So they just stay with the pack. And, um, that was, I think, one area that sort of makes me a little bit more unique in that whole regard, too, is, you know, I didn't really give a shit what the repercussions were going to be. Just like I never gave a shit what any repercussions were going to be in my entire life, you know, I, you know, come what may, like, I'm just, and, and it's also a process. There's no, it's no quick thing, you know, there's no, like, um, because a lot of those beliefs and those values are, are so deeply conditioned into you that even if you start to be like, yeah, you know, my ideas are bullshit, you're still going to get, you're still going to be carrying on those same practices in your daily lifestyle that you've been carrying on for the past, you know, fucking 10 years or whatever. Oh, I was 23. Yeah. I was 23 when I went, uh, 23 yeah, I think I was 23 when I went to prison. Mm -hmm. So you're still going to be carrying a lot of those same practices, right? Old habits. Old habits. It's like yeah. anything. Yeah. You fall back on old habits when, I suppose, when you're not motivated enough to, to start something new and, and get that into your daily practice. Yeah. You fall back on old habits right, like right. that. Yeah. yeah. Just like with veganism. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like cheese, dude. Like you want me to give up cheese? Yeah. Come on. Like, are you serious? No, <laughs> fuck no. Like, can people even survive without cheese? Like, you know, but it's, yeah, but it's like the same sort of like those same sort of processes where like, uh, yeah, you have to really, f 
fucking watch your shit and, and catch those things when you start like, you know, like, you, you know, when, when I got out of solitary confinement, I just let everybody know, like, I'm not with your shit no more. You know what I mean? And that caused a lot of blowback on me. You know, I, you know, gotten attacked and all kinds of other shit. You're a dropout now, which if you're a dropout in prison, you're just as bad as a snitch or a fucking rapist. You know what I mean? And I knew that, but I didn't give a fuck, you know, um, and, and just I'll just deal with whatever they want to make me deal with, you know, and um, and I did. And, um, you know, whatever. But I, when I got out of solitary confinement, I'd only had a couple months left. So, uh, you know, after three years, whatever, a couple months ain't shit. You just sit on your bed and watch TV for the rest of the time, you know. Have a couple fist fights, you know, drink some coffee and go home, you know. Gotcha. Um, but when I got out, that's when, that's when I really had to start, like, dealing with things because, you know, I was connected with an organization and I was, you know, had gone in doing some notable work for an organization. Um, the person that I was um, like doing actual like labor work for, you know, um, you know, uh, making a living or whatever was a part of that organization and other people in my hometown were the people I knew and, and so on. And um, so when I got out, I, uh, I, I kind of played on that fence for a while just trying to adjust myself and it's hard getting out of prison for anybody. You know, you don't know what the fuck to do. Um, you have nothing established. You no. have nothing. Um, you're lucky as fuck. If you have somebody who's willing to help you with anything, you know, and you're um, expected to, you're expected to go out and make it for yourself, make it on your own again. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. So, and, so with more pressure than the average citizen, because mm -hmm. now you got some PO showing up at your work with his gun and his bulletproof vest on, you know, wanting to make you pee in a cup and just, you know what I mean? So yep. it's, yeah. So, um, and everyone does a background check and yeah. all that. So you've got a lot of things going against you. Yeah. So what did you do for work when you got out? How did you, how did you go about kind of navigating um, this I went, situation? You were I in? went back to work for the same guy mm -hmm. who was, um, kind of higher up on that whole, uh, organization than me and um, I just tried to bring things to him conversationally and he knew right where I was going right off the bat fired me didn't give me my last check you know what I mean uh, called me an asshole posted my face and my name and everything else all over uh, certain uh, media sites that you know uh, pro white supremacy yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know all that type of shit tried to create he created some problems. They created they created some problems for me. Not nothing I couldn't really handle, but yeah, they created some like annoyances and shit for me. Um, I just I just kept staying in contact with certain anarchists and you know getting into those ideas more and more, which again was sort of me just letting more and more of those like like it. it it's it's kind of hard to even really explain in a way. That was it the next answer? <clears throat> you know how you spoke about white supremacy being the answer at a time in your life? It was an answer to w what you needed, basically, and you were able to direct aggression. Was it a different type of answer for you? <laughs> no. Were you, were you, no? No. no? It, it, maybe, maybe it was the original answer that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was the original answer that I really like deep down like knew i was looking for the whole time 
And so the more I sort of like kept getting into those things, the more liberated I started to become and to feel, you know, like, like the more like, um, like the less fake I, I started to feel, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I didn't have to try, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's just real hard to explain. Like, um, it was sort of just coming into what was more natural, Yep. I guess, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, so yeah. <clears throat> the time you spent in prison and went into solitary confinement, yeah. was that, <clears throat> was that what you consider your first time in prison? Yeah. So since then, you come out and you you know you explain that you started to feel more yourself, more liberated, more in line with I suppose you know what you really believe in. Mhm. But you still end up going back to prison. Yeah. So what happened? Um so eventually I I had started um getting involved with some um with some sharps and um with some ARA punks. Um, there was some uh, folks that came up from California that uh, we started getting involved with, doing like anti-fascist stuff at a couple music venues um, in Central Oregon, uh, different, just, just different things like that. And, uh, and um, Was this like protesting? No, no, no not, not really protesting, just sort of like, um, like um, organizing and... Um, creating like free spaces you know um for people to be and to you know to be safe you know um regardless of you know uh, race gender identity you know um things like that and uh of course you know um the fash is always going to take interest when when anybody wants to allow anybody else to, you know, be who they want to be or whatever. So they had taken interest in some of this, especially being me too, and being a part of the white supremacist movement now doing like anti-fascist work and like, you know, um, hanging out with like uh, sharps that were coming up from California, uh, ARA punks. This would be very naive of me to ask who were the sharps? What is a sharp ARA? What does that mean? Um, ARA is anti-racist action. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll have, um, you know, punk rockers, you know, Antifa, just a lot of different anti-fascist type of people. It's, it's you know, mostly punk rockers, I okay. guess, in certain areas, you know. Um, sharps are skinheads against racial prejudice, S-H-A-R-P. I know that seems... Uh, an oxymoron. An oxymoron. And it, it does seem like that at first, but um, you may find it interesting that skinheads originally were not racist and that, you know, skinhead music, you know, came from two-tone music, which is a, a mashup of, you know, reggae and, you know, punk. And um, those original two-tone bands were two-tone, black and white, you know. is uh, black people in, um, you know, that that's where skinheads originated was like from you know two tones to you know um uh, rude boys you had uh skinheads punk rockers you know different people like that and they they were they were not racist and they were actually more anti-racist to begin with and um so it was just it was a physical look yeah it had had nothing to do with racism to begin with yeah yeah correct i mean it it was a it was yeah it's fashion sense you Mm -hmm. know um 
but there's it's an attitude type of music you know it's all those things um but yeah beliefs and ideas go into it also okay so those people come up here you're hanging out with them now Um, you know what leads you back into prison um, Um, from there I got jumped Um, Mm -hmm. I got jumped by uh, this uh, another white supremacist one of his little startups yeah so they jumped me yep because of the you know the stuff that was going on yep and um, I ended up uh, caving in the dude's head Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up losing his eye, reconstructive surgery, the whole nine, caved in his sinus cavity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other guy ran off, you know, the guy with the two by four ran off, punched my girlfriend on his way out. Okay. And uh, we didn't, I don't call the cops. And um, we didn't call the cops. We, we left and um, somebody had suggested we call the cops before they do. And I took their phone and I threw it on the floorboard of the car and uh, I was like, dude, we don't, call, we don't call the cops, you know? And uh, we went back to the, at the time, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it was a fist fight, no big fucking deal. You know what I mean? I'm over it, they'll get over it. Everything you know? will blow over. Everything will blow over. Uh, <clears throat> well, dude went to the emergency room, cops came. They, they had said that me and my friend had, uh, had attacked him. My friend was nowhere in the whole area. My history with uh, the justice system being what it is and them being the ones who sort of like, I don't know if they called the cops, but the cops came to the hospital and the dude was in the ER. And uh, they said that I had attacked him. Me and another person had attacked him. Somebody calls from the co- uh, from the hospital and said that that's what happened, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Nah, dude, they're fucking with us. Like, they're not at the hospital because all I did was punch the dude. I might have caught him with my knee on his way to the ground, but uh, I'm thinking they're they're full of shit. Like, and there's no way I did that much damage. So uh, let's go down there. We're drunk. We're like, fuck, let's go down there. This is bullshitting, right? So we go down there, and uh, sure as shit, there's cops everywhere, and um, they see they see me and my friend, and they arrest us. And uh, we go to jail. I had actually gotten out of jail, um, ran, went to Mexico for a while, came back. That's a whole other story that doesn't yeah. really fucking <laughs> into anything. But um, when I had come back, my friend beat the charge in trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I came back, I was certain I was going to beat it in trial because I was attacked by two people. I was attacked. I was defending myself. Granted, the dude ended up with some pretty serious injuries. It was in the course of self-defense. So right. Who the, you know. What are you going to do? I mean, it, I mean, two people jump you. It, it's human nature to defend yourself. Right. You right. either fight back or you, you know, you get absolutely you know, beaten yeah. to shit. Yeah. Which I've done also, you know, at times. But, um, Nothing against that if that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at this point, I fought back and I ended up hurting the guy pretty bad. But I was in the court of self-defense. Long story short, jury of 12 found me guilty, unanimous decision, <clears throat> and sentenced me to nine years in prison. Wow. Yeah, that was a fucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the three years I did in prison seemed pretty bad. The first time? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. 
And um, so this time it was nine years in prison. And now I'm going into prison with, you know, anti-fascist tattoos. Mm -hmm. You know, um, everybody knows who I am. They know I'm a skinhead, you know, Nazi dropout. They know I'm doing, you know, anti-fascist work. They know, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a... The initiation is a bit different to the first time around, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're walking in with a... You know, you're a whole new person, basically. And, and they, they're aware of that. And they're, yeah, they're aware of that, yeah. And, and dude, I was not... I, I, at this point, like, I'm completely over the whole, like, tough guy, bully, convict, fucking... All that entire mentality, I want to know part of it. So combine that with the whole, now I'm, I'm that... And I have anti-fascist tattoos. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing anti-fascist work. I'm like, there's fucking no way around it, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> um, and you're in there for nine years. Yeah, I guess it's nine years. Yeah. yeah. So how do you continue the work? How do you, because, you know, I, I'm aware that you've done some, um, some, some activism yeah. while you spent time in prison. Did you have to make some decisions in there? Like whether you were going to, did, did it ever cross your mind to go back to the white supremacy movement just to, to no. make your time? No, no, not at all. No. no. So what did you do? No. Actually, you- here's what's funny though. Um, um, I did. Here's what's funny though. Cause they had, they, they weren't sure where to put me. The, the, the system didn't know what, what prison to put me in. So they, they put me at like this place for a couple weeks and that place for a couple weeks to try to mm-hmm. find somewhere. <clears throat> and, um, you know, all the skinheads in prison, they knew who I was, you know, my name zero was really like, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but everybody fucking knows it. And I would show up on the yard. Somebody knows me from either the streets or from last time I was in prison or just whenever, uh, and you know, plus my tattoos. I mean, I still have, you know, I have boots on my neck, you know, that I just still keep, um, <clears throat> um, just different things like that, you know, um, sick fuck on my, I mean, there's, it's no way around, you know, me being me. Um, mm-hmm. and I would get, uh, you know, they, they come in, you know, with their group of like, you know, with their mean face on and shaved heads and their boots and like, like, what's up, dude, what's up, you know? And like, like, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? You know? And, um, so what's up, you skinhead or what? Right. And yeah, I'm traditional, man. You know, traditional skinhead, traditional anti-racist. Referring back to what you were talking about before. Exactly. Right. And and most of these skinheads in prison, they're not skinheads. They're fucking, you know, mostly, you know, drug addicts, thieves, whatever, that go to prison and shave their heads because that's what you do when you go to prison, mm-hmm. right? And then they take on that sort of a personality and they play that role, right? So they don't really, they're not from the skinhead scene. They don't know the fucking skinhead shit. So, so they, you know, you skinhead, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm traditional. I'm a traditional skinhead, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, okay, well, well, people are saying you're sharp and shit now. Like, what's up with that? I'm like, yeah, you know, fuck, you know, I, I'm not going to come out and be like, yeah, I'm a sharp because you're just going to get instantly fucking smashed on right there. So, you know, I'd talk my way around it. You know, like, nah, not sharp, man. I'm just a traditional skinhead, man. I'm just an old punk rocker, dude. You know what I mean? Use, use words in your favor. Use words in my favor, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, they, you know, they wouldn't know 
they don't really know what to do. So they would keep me sort of at arm's length while they wrote letters and, and tried to figure out what the fuck was going on with me. And, um, and um, I would, here's what I started doing was like, I would see the, the, the young, more impressionable ones that they would be working on pulling into that shit. And me being a traditional skinhead, right? Uh, I was still kind of like, I was still um, associate with them. You know, I'd see them on the weight pile, like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? What's up, man? You know, like, yeah, you, oh, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just getting my workout in, dude, you know, fucking. And so I'd still like chat with them a little bit, but kind of keep that little that distance. distance as well, mm -hmm. which is an interesting balance. I would see these younger, more impressionable uh, kids that they would be sort of like uh, cultivating, you know, and then I'd kind of slide in on them a little bit and be like, what's up, dude? Let's go walk, you know, and talk to them and, uh, I, you know, kind of try to get them more out of that mentality and stuff because I know the road, man, and it's, it's just not, it's not a good road. So you're planting seeds? Planting seeds. More or less? Yeah. You weren't, so you weren't fully distancing yourself from them to fully cut yourself off? but right. more using the time that you spent with them in more of a positive light. Yeah. What did you guys talk about? Like what, what conversations could you have with them? <clears throat> well, cause it's a little bit different when you're having like a verbal conversation as opposed to what your first experience was receiving writing. You know, you're on your own, yeah, you, you yeah, receive yeah. literature, you've got a lot of time mm -hmm. yourself, you've been challenged, you're obviously going to read it. Yeah. But what's it like when you're face to face with these people? Like what opportunities did you have to say anything that was, you know, anti-racist? Well, you would sort of um, find that common ground, that yeah. common ground that, that, that you do have in common with them, right? Um, the government's corrupt for one. We can agree on that. What else? <laughs> <laughs> um, could you could you lay any seeds around? Yeah, yeah. Philosophy, you know, a lot, they love philosophy, man. You know, a lot of these cats, mm -hmm. you know, they get they get really like you know metaphysics and you know um, theology and things like that. So those are always you know good areas to like, you know, bring up. Um, they love to talk about you know fucking you know Sigmund Freud and uh, you know uh, or uh, fuck who's that other guy? Not Freud. Um, uh, Nietzsche, you know, they love that guy. Um, Kierkegaard, you know, they love that guy. Uh, different shit like that, you know, and, and I would, I, I would meet them politically on, on the socialist front because as a, as a white supremacist, you're into national socialism, right? And so I would, I would bring them, them around to like questions like this, like, so, so as a national socialist, would you call yourself more of a nationalist or more of a socialist? surprisingly like a lot of the more educated ones would be like well i'm you know more of a socialist you know and um and then we could get into talking about socialism and shit and like and then i get into like well how does nationalism you know in this current context really fit in with your idea of socialism you know especially here in you know the united states where it's you know obviously our nation is made up of so many cultures i mean mm -hmm. what kind of nationalists you know, would you be if you were also a socialist in such a multicultural place, you know, like, so you're challenging their beliefs on that front. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. And, um, cool. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of that common ground that, that stays away from, you know, um, our ancestors and, 
you know, the pure white blood and all mm -hmm. that kind of fucking shit, you know. And was it in this <coughs> stint, um, you know, this stint in prison that you st you started your activism work from from within the system? And also, was that your first time experiencing actually working what we were talking about off air? Did you experience all of this uh, in this time? Like um, going out into the workforce yeah. and also... Oh, no, no, no. No? No, this, that would have, this is, we're in my second prison yep. term now. Yep. And going out into the workforce would be in my third term. Third one. So. So how does the second one end up? Did you have to did you have to see out the full nine years, or were you able to to get out earlier? Yeah, I got my conviction overturned about six and a half years in. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so I fought my appeals. Um, and it took me uh, six and a half, you know, six and a half, seven years, like probably closer to six and a half years, to get uh, my conviction overturned, vindicated. Okay. What happens when you come out for the second time? You know, again, you're a different person. You're obviously not going back to the the same job that you tried to go to the first time. Well, did did you want to get not to cut you off? No, um, go ahead. Did you want to get into the activism? Okay, cuz I got into my um when I started getting into the workforce, that mm -hmm. was in my third, third term. Yep. Um, but when I started really doing like prison activism and things like that was still in this. Totally. I'd love, I'd love to hear about it. So how do you do that from, <clears throat> from within, um, a system such as the American prison <clears throat> system? Um, okay. So let me see. Well, and what, what made you want to do it? Well, being like politically motivated, just sort of like always like my whole life, you know? Um, um, and then sort of like getting on that higher level of like political work and just doing like things like just civic action of different types. Um, you put somebody like that in prison and you're not going to be able to take that out of them. You know, it's like, I've tried, you know, in prison out here to like take that sort of like activism mentality and just like, dude, I'm done with this shit because it's, it's stress, man. It's, it's a lot of stress. It's eats up a lot of time and like, it's, it's hard work sometimes. And, um, sometimes I don't feel like I can handle it anymore. And I just like, I'm done. I'm done with political work. And I know so many other people to do the same thing and you'll set it down for, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, but you, you are just drawn to it. It's just a part of who you are. And so you put somebody who's doing that in prison, they're still going to be drawn to that. You know, you're going to find a way to do something that's going to, you know, be beneficial or be, you know, productive towards your, you know, your activism. Got it. Right? Yeah. Now tell us the extent of the work that you were doing. At first I wasn't doing much. I was really focusing on my appeals, trying to get back out of prison and trying to stay out of solitary confinement and trying not to get stabbed, you know? And, um, I was mostly successful at those things. <laughs> not getting stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, mostly yeah. successful. Okay. Um, you did get stabbed? 
I got cut. Yeah. I got cut pretty bad. Okay. Um, but they're your main concerns at the time. Yeah, they're my main concerns at the time. I and I got into some other. I had a couple pretty serious encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the course of a couple years, I think they had gotten the point just to like leave me alone. I broken a couple of their arms. Um, uh, did some pretty serious damage to one guy's neck. I just, I, you know, right. you, you, you have to do those things and it's not, it's not a pleasant feeling when you are feeling like you have to like break somebody's arm. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, it's a Pure, easy, purely in self-defense, purely in self-defense, but it's something you have to do when you're, you know, when they're attempting to take your life, you yep. know, um, at points to let them know that, not only are you not going to take my life, but if you try, you're going to come out very, very, very fucking bad. And so after, you know, I, it got to a point to where, like, um, I, I would hear, like, them getting, I did get, you know, I had little tentacles out there, and I would hear of them, you know, getting a couple uh, torpedoes together. That's, that's kids, recruits or whatever. They go run a mission, and that's how they get into the gang or whatever mm-hmm. i hear little uh whispers of them getting people together to to come at me um however different ways and i i just wouldn't even wait for it i just i go first you know if, as soon as i as soon as i get any kind of a whisper that you're gonna fucking attack me i'm i'm just attacking you a fucking 100 times harder and even though it's just me like and you got this whole little gang like I'm fucking you up, you know, and that's I'm fucking you up. So you kind of sent a message to them, and they got it in the end. They eventually got it. They got it. Yeah. Don't fuck with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's gonna fuck with you in a much worse way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that gives you the freedom within prison to kind of go about your own work without yeah. having to worry about those other things. The worry's still there, but yeah, they yeah. they, but yeah, they pretty much. Subsided. Yeah, you, you have more freedom. You, uh, yeah, I would do my do whatever the fuck I wanted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then, <coughs> and um, what were you able to do? So, um, I stayed in contact with um, a lot of the, the anarchists and just different uh, anti-fascists and stuff that I had built relationships with before. And um, I was writing a lot of zines and stuff. You know, just doing zine work, man. You know, which is just basically keeping your mind occupied. Um, reading a lot of zines and, and newsletters and newspapers from different places and things like that. And I'd build relationships with people in the prison that we would have discussions with and just things like that. There came a point when, and I had actually organized a couple uh, work strikes with a couple different people from different gangs about um, inflated phone prices and a couple things like that, you know, inflated like commissary prices and things. And they went pretty well. We go to the hole. We do, you know, a good six months in the hole over it. But fuck it, who cares? You're in prison either way, right? Um, and then um, and then eventually um, the IWW, if, if you're familiar with them, um, Industrial Workers of the World, um, who I, I'm still, well, I would say that I'm, I'm organizing with again started a campaign called uh, IWOC and that's um, the um, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee and if, if, if nobody knows what that is check it out it's really cool shit um, 
Um, the Say IW- it again. Say it again. Um, IWOC, Incarcerated Workers. So the IWW is the Industrial Workers of the World. Yep. And um, they started a campaign to unionize prisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time it's ever been done to bring um, prisoners into um, an established uh, labor union. Um, and that campaign was called um, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Um, IWOC for short. So IWW um, was, I think it was um, the Free Virginia Movement, which is a revolutionary um, prisoner movement in Virginia. And they have them all over there, Free Virginia, Free Texas, Free Alabama. It might have been Free Alabama that started with IWOC. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on it. Yep, yep. But um, so it was Free Virginia or Free Alabama got together with IWW and with the NLG, which is the National Lawyers Guild, and um, some other organizations and um, started I Walk the Campaign, and that was to unionize prisoners to the ultimate goal is to abolish prisons, okay, to abolish, not abolish prisons, but to the, ab- go ahead. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. To abolish the prison system. Yeah. Okay. So there's a difference. But um And when you say the prison system, are we talking about like the privatized nature of prisons, the system as it operates? Not so much I suppose the time that people need to spend if they've, you know, committed a crime. Could you explain it a little bit more? I, you know, well, ideally to abolish all prisons and the yeah. concept yeah. of prison. Okay. But that's ideally, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, more practically, yeah. Um, just like you said, you know, um, the institution of, of prison, the industry of prison, right? The prison industrial complex, you know, the way um, imprisonment and incarceration has been industrialized and you know it's it's privatized and people actually make money off it here right yeah right uh donald trump makes money off prisons you know um his whole staff makes money off prisons i mean uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's it's an industry it's it's big money right and that's why the united states has you know what something like 23 to 25 percent of the world's prison population Mm -hmm. right it's because there's invested interest and I think there's a lot of people out there that probably don't know that because it doesn't happen in their country. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of wild when, yeah, when I found out about that, I couldn't believe it. People yeah. actually make money off the prison system here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Okay. So they're fighting in the against land of the free, you know? Right. right. Yeah. So they're fighting against <clears throat> that and amongst other things. Yeah. That uh, amongst other things. And did um, you become a part of this, this group? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I was doing other things um, that um, I, I had a lot of networks. I was really doing a lot of networking while I was in there. So when when they kicked that off, they really had in like this whole region, you know, uh, Washington, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, they really had me. So yeah, I had gotten involved with that with um, the Anarchist Black Cross here in Portland, and um, a couple other Anarchist Black Cross chapters. So yeah, it was um, uh, Portland ABC, 
they were like they really did a lot for us in the northwestern regions but um yeah i gotten involved with um you um, begin working for them and right the black right. cross of portland yeah anarchist black cross um iww national lawyers guild um there, there's some others that i'm probably forgetting but um yeah and um basically the the fundamental line is um you know abolishing um the pic you know the prison industrial complex um the primary goal being to amend the uh shit is it the 14th amendment i don't know 13th it's the 14th amendment or 13th amendment mm -hmm. um which states um that was the the abolition of slavery amendments um mm -hmm. slavery uh shall not exist comma except where one has been convicted of a crime comma in the united states right so within the um anti-slavery amendments of the united states constitution um what most people have been led to believe is the abolishment of slavery slavery was actually under pressure a preservation of slavery um because it's written into the constitution in that amendment um where uh slavery shall not exist except where one has been convicted of a crime in the united states right it's not the exact words but that's the exact message mm -hmm. and so the 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 fundamental goal in the whole iwak campaign was to amend that amendment um to eliminate that part between the commas and that would establish prisoners rights and you know more rights for anybody else who's been convicted of a crime who's had their rights taken you know and that would you know begin to eliminate the profiteering off of the prison complex right and um so that's the 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 fundamental like the driving goal behind the iwak campaign and yeah i was um i was a really big part of the um the networking um and i i had gone back to solitary confinement for organizing strikes I, I went in there for I think the first time during my seven year set. I say seven years because it was like six years and close enough to seven. Close enough to yeah, mm -hmm. round it off I guess. Um, <clears throat> but um, I, I had already done like a year and some change in solitary confinement for organizing strikes. They knew what I was up to. I I started getting stacks of mail, you know, from different organizers mm -hmm. from the streets, mm -hmm. other organizers from different prisons. Which is one cool thing about the Oregon prisons, though, I will give them this, is that they allow you to write other prisoners. Gotcha. Which most states don't Other do prisoners that. in other... In, in, in other... In the same... In the same state sta or in other states. Okay, got you. Other countries. So I got to network. Um, I was all the way over in um, England, New Zealand, Greece, um... Uh, yeah, a couple other countries um, networking and organizing with people. Um, mostly here, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I was doing a lot of, like, analytics and um, a lot of theory around, like, organizing within the institution. Like, how can prisoners better organize themselves to be in alignment with um, Wobbly, uh, you know, I IWW, uh, Praxis, and vice versa, how can we sort of um, open up these channels of communication 
um, there was just a lot of different like dynamics of organizing that really were people were having a lot of trouble overcoming because of the certain you know rules and regulations yeah (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i did a lot of stuff around that for different states and and different um organizers on the streets how can you better help prisoners organize so on and so forth and um i organized um the uh one of the first i walk like established i walk chapters and that was the um Oregon, uh, I think, uh, fuck, I don't remember what we called. Well, it was a Iwalk, Oregon prison chapter. There was also um, ABC, Oregon prisons, different things like that. But um, so within the Anarchist Black Cross prison chapter, we started we started organizing the Iwalk chapter. And um, so we were one of the first established Iwalk chapters. And does that and, continue um, today? I doubt it. No? No, no. No, it doesn't. There's still a few in other people states. That are, or? Yeah, yeah, they still exist in other states. Um, there may still be a few of the individuals in here in Oregon, but I don't think there's still an established chapter. Mm-hmm. We uh, we cracked off the first strike. I think it was in 2014. Um, that was I had gotten out of solitary confinement. It was only out for a couple months, and then we. And this was like sort of out of my control. I would have liked to have spent some time out of solitary confinement. But um, um, the first strike was set to go off in 2014. And so I'd only gotten out of solitary confinement from the first strikes for a couple months when we hit the second strikes. The second strikes were big. We hit 17 states. Wow. And I think Greece, the, the some of the prisons in Greece went on strike also. And... Um, it was a wrap. They threw me back in solitary confinement. That time I was there for four years and, uh, you know, three and uh, three and enough to say four years, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing to be able to organize something that's like worldwide. Like you could claim worldwide, I suppose. Yeah. It was in Greece around uh, and around America. Yeah. All like, from, you know, more or less your cell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, I, and I don't, I don't want to say like, no, you know, not just you, but like you help to facilitate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I can take uh, like, I think a lot of the credit, you know, I was, um, co-edit, uh, co-editing the international newsletter. Um, man, uh, we started, uh, the, um, the first, uh, prison, like four prisoners by prisoners, um, state newsletter in Oregon, um, and this the same similar newsletter for the Pacific Northwest, which also went to Washington. And, um, that was with, um, a friend of mine named Tyler Bristow, who's ABC. He was like really helping me out a lot here and he's on the streets in Portland. Yeah. So we did a lot of stuff like that. And I ended up, um, they threw me back in solitary confinement and they weren't letting me out that time. And, um, they stopped my mail at points. I went on a 17 day hunger strike at one point to get my mail going again. The reason they started my mail going again was because some people from the national lawyers guild got involved. And so they gave me my food and my mail at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, wow. So yeah, um, 
Yeah, and I'm still working with IWW today. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm doing stuff. Um, well, yesterday, and then I think again tomorrow. Amazing, man. <laughs> no, that's a really cool story. Uh, really cool to hear about, and I'm glad that you know, with a lot of work, you were also able to overturn the decision eventually. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't. I suppose I don't want to skip too much, but I would love to hear about the third time you spent in prison and more about the work, the work side of things. So what, I mean, yeah, you could totally let me know like, okay, what was your third sentence? How long was it? But I would really love to hear about what kind of work prisoners are sent out to do, uh, what work you were also involved with personally. Work like labor? Labor. Okay. Um, Well, there's nothing too glamorous after I got out that time anyways. Um, Yeah. um, I will say this, though, just backing up just a little bit. Yeah, totally. um, Is that I was not expecting to get out of prison when I got out of prison. Mm -hmm. But um, I had told you I was working on my appeals. Um, There came a point when I had given up on my appeals. But my appeals lawyer kept working on my appeals on my behalf. I didn't even know. I told him, fuck it. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do my time, dude. I'm sick of stressing on it. And he kept working on it anyways. Um, I still had about a year left to do in solitary, um, another two years to do in prison. And um, I'm sitting in my cell one day, and the cop brings me a phone. He's like, you got a phone call. And uh, it's my lawyer. He says, congratulations, we won your appeal, right? I'm like, what the fuck? And uh, he's like, you got about two weeks before they get all the paperwork situated. So try to figure out what you're going to do because you're out of here in about two weeks, right? Okay, so this is after six and a half years of being incarcerated. Amazing. Years in solitary confinement. Still have two years left in prison, one of which is still going to be in solitary confinement. And now he's telling me I got two weeks to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do. Because you're out. Because I'm out, yeah. What was the feeling? What was that feeling, honestly? Pissed. <laughs> really? Yeah, dude. Yeah? Yeah. You, did, you didn't want to? No, I want to get out. Oh. I just did fucking six and a half years for no reason. Ah, uh, got you. Understood, you know understood. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, infuriated. Man. I thought you meant pissed because you were getting out. I was like, really? I, I find that hard to believe. But no, I fully understand that. <clears throat> well... Totally understand that. There was very little elation, mm-hmm. you know, um, hmm. Yeah, because I've just been robbed. Yep. You know, and it's, it's like if, if somebody robs you and then, you know, finds you down the road somewhere and says, oh, hey, man, check it out. Sorry I robbed you. You know, you don't get any of your shit back, but, you know. Six years later. a nice day. Seven years later. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Fuck, Only they're robbing you of your actual life, you know what I mean? uh, Okay. So that's that's what it felt. And then, uh, so about about two weeks after um, they told me I had about two weeks, they pulled me down to the captain's office. And uh, I had forgotten about it again. I just put it out of my mind again. Like, you know... Like, it's not real to me, you know? And uh, <clears throat> they pull me out, they cuff me up, take me down. I'm like, great, now what, you know? And uh, 
Captain's like, uh, he picks up a phone. He's like, so you got somebody you want me to call? Right? And I'm like, for what, dude? He's like, uh, he's like, you got a ride coming or what? I'm like, a ride coming? What the fuck are you talking about? And uh, he's like, well, you're getting released, right? If you don't have a ride, we'll get you a bus ticket. You know, I'm like, well, well get me a bus ticket then, you know? And um, so they got me a bus ticket to Portland. And um, which I hadn't seen Portland in fucking... Right, seven least, years. Well, longer than that, because I mm. wasn't even. I I was ah, for years. Got you. In Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's probably about you know about ten years since I've even seen Portland. But they're asking me, "Well, you're getting out of prison today. Where do you want to go?" Right. I'm like wow, Portland. You know, like you know, I guess fucking so. Bus ticket to Portland. Get off the bus. They, when you get out of prison in Oregon, they give you a bag of condoms and $25. So Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> what? It's like, yeah, it's just enough for like a relapse and like some protection, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, like, it's kind of like, we'll see you again soon. Right. Yeah. Try not to what? bring any diseases back when you come in or yeah. something, you know? Or, or I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. It's what they do. That's okay. What okay. Wanting. Yeah. Um, 25 bucks in a bag of condoms. Yeah. Uh, so I get off the bus with that and, um, <clears throat> uh, slept the first couple nights, made a, made, made a little spot in an alleyway. Mm-hmm. Um, did that hit the internet at the library, you know, Facebook, all that type of shit. Um, eventually, um, got connected with, um, my friend Tyler Bristow, who, there's a lot of a lot of great stuff around here around Portland, um, and uh, he let me stay at his house a couple nights. Let me pitch a tent in his yard. Um, another couple comrades got me some different jobs, and you know I just sort of kept moving and um, got my own apartment, got a car. Um, it was only a couple months, relapsed. Um, and um, that's why I say it was nothing too glamorous. I had just enough time to, you know, get semi on my feet and get high. And um, and that was a wrap. I got arrested in Washington for possession of drugs and um, did a year and a um, year and a half in Washington. Gotcha. And, um, and you experienced working? Yeah. Okay. So did you experience working in the labor force in any of your other sentences or was this a new thing to you? So like in the United States, like you pretty much have to work because you're, well, you need income, right? You got to have like your basic, you know, hygiene necessities, some food. You got to have like some kind of like luxuries, right? You got to have some creature comforts and stuff. The only way to get that is through, you know, the, the state, sanctioned um store right so anything you buy you have to buy through the state and so you got you know there's same, no same free basic principles there's no freebies you know freebies no you're working <clears> for <throat> it you the worker you got to have a hustle gotcha which is still work right mm-hmm. um but yeah you, you so most of the time when not in solitary confinement i would have some kind of a job um and you can, you know, if you if you know how to play the system right, you can sort of maneuver yourself into certain jobs that you find more favorable than others. And 
Um, personally, I would sort of try to position myself in like a just a unit orderly job or something where I don't have to go out to the kitchen and deal with food and, you know, dirty water and just, you know, all that shit down there, or, you know, or something like that laundry where you're dealing with fucking dirty clothes. You know what I mean? So... <clears throat> Um, I would get some kind of unit orderly job where I wipe down handrails and shit, which pays less. But I also, you know, do different hustles and stuff too. Um, but yeah, you're you're making uh, an average shit. If you're making forty bucks a month, you're doing pretty good. And we're talking, you know, eight day or eight hour days, you know, five days a week, um, of like genuine labor. Is there any minimum wage protection or, you know, what are you earning? Like, what is it? What does a prisoner earn? <clears throat> if, you, if you're only, if you're doing eight hour days, like that's as much as anyone else, but what's the, what's the it's, pay? It's, I, I don't remember the math anymore. No, but they don't give you like an hourly rate. But I mean, if you're doing forty bucks a month, yeah, you're each, doing well for yourself. That's each state like has a different little system that they calculate things by. Mm-hmm. Um, and Washington's is like um, it's a point system, so you earn so many points. Like they don't even use hours; they have points. Okay. And it, it's just a weird system, and it comes out to like uh, a, you know, a handful of little change not even a handful, like less than a dollar a day kind of a thing, or maybe a dollar a day, you know. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Oregon has a different system, but still comes out to roughly the same. Um, some states get nothing. Some states, you don't get paid shit. Uh, Texas, I think, for example, um, some of the other southern states that were built on, you know, old slave plantations mm-hmm. um you know and they, you know they freed the slaves marginalized them into the poverty-stricken neighborhoods criminalized a lot of their behaviors you know which poverty uh behaviors that result from poverty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you criminalized those uh put them in prisons they were built on the plantations and it's back to business as usual and what a lot of people don't know is that those plantations that we abolished fucking all those years ago are still functioning more like they're functionally functioning a lot better than they were, you know, more organized cost less. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Government subsidized. I mean, okay. it's, it's all there and they don't get paid shit mm-hmm. and they're getting, you know, life sentences for fucking, um, you know, uh, minor drug offenses, you right? Know what I mean, or, or petty theft of which now some of the marijuana is legal in a lot of States. That's yeah, kind of mind-boggling yeah. to me is that you can legalize a drug and have people doing like huge, you know, huge sentences for possession of those drugs. Right. Yeah, yeah it's it's funny. They, they arrested a lot of people that were, you know, dealing with weed and they're still in prison right now while the state came in and is now selling weed where they arrested the people who were previously selling weed. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, and those... You know, companies are now paying taxes yeah and giving that income income tax to the to the government from their weed sales yeah so yeah that's kind of a gnarly uh 
you know discussion in itself in itself yeah but i'd yeah i'd love to hear about <coughs> um you know the work you did in washington so i understand it wasn't always you know laundry handrails and dishes you did actually get outside of uh the prison that you were in uh, right. to do to do work outside yeah that's that's actually like one of the um one of the finer points of the Washington prison system is that in Oregon, they don't have that. You don't mm -hmm. have anything like that, but in Washington, they have a, a program they call work release. And that's if you've done so much time in prison and you have so much time left, they put you out into the community in these like kind of a halfway house type situation, which is basically a state ran house, it's state controlled, but prisoners live there to serve out the rest of their sentence. They go out in the community and find jobs and shit. Okay. And it allows you to save money up too. Um, it sounds kind of progressive compared to the rest of the system. Comparatively, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it benefits them a lot because they're taking the greater chunk of your paycheck, but it's still better than your uh, 40 bucks a month also that you would be making inside the institution. Mm -hmm. Plus, you get to buy food at the grocery store. You can wear your own clothes. I mean, there's a lot of like... It's just a lot more comfortable. The food's a lot better. I mean, everything's just a lot more comfortable. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> more comfortable. Not to be confused with, confused with comfortable. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so comparatively speaking. But, you know, when we're talking about getting kicked to the curb in Portland after, you know, after a seven-year sentence, this comparatively sounds like you are given time to try and reintegrate back into society. Yeah, and that's the premise of those yeah. those um, work release houses gotcha. and, and stuff is like uh, to do that, and it and it it's it can work, you mm -hmm. know. It can it can be like it, it works a lot better than just kicking you out of prison. But what they like to do is, and this sort of gets to the crux of of um, you know veganism and and all these things. Uh, what they like to do is. They'll put you in these houses and then they will give you, um, <clears throat> they'll give you a certain amount of time to get a job. And, uh, if you don't find a job within that amount of time, then it's, it's back to prison. Mm -hmm. right? And they're like, well, we can help you get a job too. Right. So if you don't have something lined up, you, you have to find a job within this amount of time. So you might just want to go to this job, you know, that we already have lined up for you. And people just take it because it's already lined up for you. You know, you don't. And they always send you to somewhere that's different from your county that you're from. So you don't even know the, the town, the city that you're even in. Um, <clears throat> so it's not like, oh, well, I can go work for this company I've been working for because you're in a whole nother town, right? But one of those jobs is... Um, the slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse. Well, there's several other meat industry, you know, meat and dairy industry. There's several mm -hmm. slaughterhouses. Um, I went to the chicken one. Okay. And uh, at the time, you know, I, I had no real, no real, you know, no real aversion to slaughterhouses or the meat industry specifically. Any more than I do to, you know, any fucking um, toilet paper industry or company, right? Or, you know, cell phone company. It's it's another capitalist 
you know, institution, right? Yep. It's just more industrialization of more things, which eats up more resources. And just, you know, it's a mean? product so, of the demand that we've placed on. Right. Yeah. So I could be building cell phones or I could be fucking killing chickens. You know what I mean? It's all the same shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've told you before, it's, it's a lot more uncomfortable, pretty distasteful. You know, we'd rather not work there, but. In the situation you're in, in situation. what option do you have? Right, right. So you what's it like stay. walking? What's it like walking into one of these places? Okay, well, okay, me being like involved in like um, anti-fascist work and and different, um, you know, things that are more like human oriented. The first thing I noticed right off the bat was just the amount of immigrants mm-hmm. that work in these places. Um, the the, uh, there's a very, very, very small number of like Americans, especially white Americans. And, like I'm talking in the single digits per shift. And we're talking in a building that, um, that, uh, I was going to say manufacturers, but um, a building that produces over a hundred thousand chickens per day, right? Um, that uh, I don't know the employment numbers, but I'll just give a guess and say you have probably, you know, three hundred, uh, three to four hundred people uh, per shift in that building. Don't quote me on that, but um, within that. Like I said, you're, you're counting, you know, I'm talking single digits of, of white Americans working these places, right? And those people, the white Americans that work there, um, are from poverty, you know? They're from poverty, poverty neighborhoods. They've grown up, poverty lifestyles. That's what they know. So working in a fucking slaughterhouse for a stable check that you're guaranteed to get, you know, every two weeks or however the fuck often they pay you, and... It's, it's, it's a decent, it's a decent living if you're coming from that lifestyle, you know, just the stability of it alone. Pays the bills. Pays the bills. Buys your groceries. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're coming from a background where those things aren't guaranteed to you, to where those things, even though they're fucking, you know, so minuscule, but they're guaranteed to you, that is like a big thing, you know, and you appreciate the fuck out of that. Yep. You know, everybody in that place appreciated that job. Um, mostly immigrants appreciate the fuck out of that job because they're not having to be back wherever they fled from. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> yep. Um, they're not going to complain about their shitty conditions there because they're afraid of losing that job then having to go out in society and getting hemmed up by fucking ICE, you know, um, the immigration agency. Um, so they keep their heads down. Um, like everybody there, you, you keep your head down, you do what you're fucking told, you work your shift, you don't complain about your short breaks, you know what I mean? You accept your measly paycheck, you go home, you cook your meal, you, you be happy. And the unsafest conditions basically in America. Extremely unsafe. Yeah. Yeah, extremely unsafe, ridiculously unsafe. Um, and they have their own hospital in that building. Um, because of 
I mean, there would be cases daily, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And every time you walk by the hospital, you see people in there that are fucked up one way or the other, you know. Um, It could be anything from, you know, it could be anything. Sliced fingers. Yeah. I don't know. It's heavy machinery, sharp machinery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you could, yeah. You name it, dude. Any kind of injury, it's at these places, you know. Um, so that's the first thing I noticed. And that was like my real big, like, like I'm going in there, you know, um, industrial workers, of the world, you know, organizer, uh, you know, analyst, all these things. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to fuck this place up? You know what I mean? Not fuck it up, but how am I going to organize and like, you exactly. know, and, and you're you know, used to speaking out on these things and you walk in, you, you're immediately seeing things that you want to write about talk about yeah. yeah and uh and i was like i was like excited i was like oh fuck i was like yeah this is this is the place right here these people are just like aching to have some sort of like education around their situation and to have some organizing and you know and all these things and i was like i was like yeah gold mine right mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but um but also I was still, I was like, well, wait, but then if I jeopardize my job here, I'm just going to get sent back to prison. Who's on my good time. So yeah, didn't really do a whole lot of it, you know, but that was like the first thing I noticed in like my job was thankfully, um, in like post packaging. So after all the chickens were already, you know, killed, butchered, frozen, wrapped up that's when they came to me i worked in a giant freezer you know bigger than this room way bigger than this room and um they would come out of this like um this super freeze and then we would pull it out on these huge racks and organize it and then from there it gets loaded onto the trucks so like thankfully i guess um i got to work there as opposed to up front more right you know where we've all seen the videos and the exactly know. yeah i mean i i can't imagine that yeah i mean if you've come from a violent background if you go to prison for you know a violent crime let's say i'm not talking about you specifically right, right. i'm just talking about in general here <laughs> then you get put in a a job where you are frontline and you're literally killing chickens or you know animals uh for your pay i just can't imagine that um you know what reinforces like any positive meaning in your life like it it just reinforces really what you've been doing but it's just on another being um i I can't see someone coming out any uh, any better off for doing that well could you imagine doing that if you were um uh, you know, a, a big business, um, you know, uh, corporate executive who, who wanted to like up your production, like who would you want working for you if you like ran a slaughterhouse? Well, I mean, it's the cheapest labor, right? Is it not? Well, yes. Is that the way to employ people as cheaply as possible? Either get immigrants that are worried about their status here or get prisoners that really, you know, don't have much choice? I mean, I guess both if you're a, a, 
if you're, you know, if you own foster farms or whatever, yeah, I mean, you're, exactly. you're going to want, yeah, you're going to want exactly that. You're going to want people that aren't going to be flinching at, at violence and, you know, yeah, no, completely understandable. And shit, you know? I mean, it's a horrible cycle at the end of the day, who, <clears throat> who can you actually get to do those jobs? Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna. That's, that's gonna be those people. It's gonna be those people. Yeah. So it kind of plays into the system, unfortunately. Yeah. So, and you're doing them a favor by giving them those jobs. You know. Yeah, as you said, they're appreciative. Yeah. They get to go home and have things that they weren't used to previously. Yeah. You know, like a stable income, a roof over their head, food in the yeah. fridge, those things that I think really humans crave, and anything beyond that is a bonus. Yeah. Um. I'd love to hear a little bit about... Is it, it seems like a lot of the negative situations that you've had in your life end up actually spinning into something more positive. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you met my Ava, your oh. girlfriend who's sitting next to me right now. <laughs> and yeah, just a little bit about how that all kind of came together and ties into uh, the job you had. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's an interesting story too. And and to be honest, um, I doubt that I would have even um, opened up to veganism much because, you know, like previously, prior to all that, you know, talking to other anarchists and other, you know, um, just other anti-fascists, like the subject of veganism comes up a lot, and there are different theories around it. A lot of anarchists are vegans, you know, because it fits into anarchism. But a lot of anarchists are not because of other certain reasons around it. Um, and I've always tended towards that, well, I'm not a vegan because, you know, such and such and such. So while working there in, in the slaughterhouse, um, you know, I had gotten off work one day. And, you know, by the time you get off work, you have to be back at your... Uh, the, the work release house at a certain time and stuff. And, um, you know, we had bicycles that we'd ride. Weren't allowed to drive cars, but, mm -hmm. um, so we were getting off work one day and, uh, we come out on our bikes and it's like hot summertime out. And, um, I noticed some protesters out front, you know, black hoodies, um, you know, dreadlocks, you know, black skinny jeans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, what are these people up to, you know? And uh, it's it interesting, too. Uh, all my coworkers and stuff were like, these fucking assholes, fuck you. And, you know, and just giving them the usual shit that protesters get anywhere. Um, so a few people that worked there would drive by and, like, throw chicken at them. And um, just, just shit like that, you know, just the usual heckler. Yep, yep. Shit, you know? The, the people are getting in the way of other people. <laughs> yeah. Receive, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm watching the whole thing and shit. And I, I already intended, like, oh, I'm going to go kick it with these people and see what they got going on, you know? But I just kind of watched the whole little, the way things worked for a minute and just kind of noticed how she took note. And, uh, I go over and I took uh, this other kid with me that was at the work release house with me, youngster. And, um, I said, come on, dude, we're going to go talk to these people over here. He's like, what? Fuck that. I'm like, come on, man. You're coming with me. And like, all right. You know, so like we go over and started talking to, um, I don't know how much she would appreciate me saying her name on the air, but uh, not you, but 
uh, the person who did the interview with me over there. But um, I, I met, you know, I, I st started just conversing with a few of them and um, they were really surprised by me coming over, being a worker there and asking them questions and talking to them. Like they were like, what? Like they were like completely taken aback. And so, I, you know, we started uh, conversing and um, I had began like talking to one person in particular and um, we had a lot of similar views and were able to kind of back and forth pretty well. And so they're like, oh, would you mind if, uh, <clears throat> If um, I, I taped you and we did an interview and I'm um, like, yeah, just like neck down, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, boom, so we did that, did a little interview. And um, it went over, you know, relatively well. And um, I kept in contact with that person and a couple other people um, that I had met there. And I began talking with them more about veganism because it's – Here's the thing is like anything radical and anything like especially radical and progressive, like I'm, I'm pretty much interested in it. And it doesn't like veganism, like it really, really coincides with anarchism. But aside from that, I'm into it just because it's radically progressive, you know, and it's for and by, by radically progressive. I mean, like, like very like, much different to societal norms. Well, that, but it's very much like out of concern and favor for others, you know? That are being oppressed or... Right, right, right. I had never really extended that idea to animals before. Like, you know, like in theory, sure, right? It makes sense, but we, we don't live in a theoretical world, right? So I, in talking to some of them um, and just especially you know the one person i mentioned <clears throat> started wrapping my head around some of those ideas and then i started considering it you know and sort of like would i even be able to go vegan like like i don't even know how to fucking cook toast you know what i mean like <laughs> i you know like i gotta have cheese I, I if i don't have cheese then like some bad shit's gonna happen probably and like, you know like you have all these ideas but um so like um the other person was who sort of like st started me like being receptive to those ideas and then um i was still working there at the slaughterhouse <clears throat> and i get some phone time write letters things like that and um they had told me one day that hey um this person watched this interview that you did and would like to write you is that okay with you and uh I'm like, like, yeah, of course it's okay with me, you know. Um, yeah, tell them here's my here's my information, and you know, like, <laughs> and um, so I guess she had passed the information on, and uh, oh, she did, and um, but before I I had gotten a letter or anything from that person, like I I had acquired a cell phone, which is against the prison rules. But I acquired a cell phone, so I, you know, set up a little, some social media accounts and got a hold of the person I was talking to. And then through them, got a hold of the person that wanted to write me. And that's my Ava. And, um, 
And, uh, you know, I still, at that, at that time, I think I only had shit, maybe like a month and a half left to do if I would have completed the, uh, the work release program while we were talking on the phone and, you know, doing like video chat and stuff like that. And we just, we were like all the time, the whole time I had my phone with me, like we'd be video chatting and doing all that stuff. And, um, eventually I got, I had got caught and like, here's what, here's what I love about like talking with my Ava as somebody who worked in a slaughterhouse who was like, meat every day yep. all day every meal cheese is a staple cheese, cheese is a staple milk motherfucker need it <laughs> you know i need milk with my cheese for sure <laughs> you know <laughs> but um but like being like that person and and this like vegan activist who's like interested in me as a person and this sort of like can kind of go back to how anthony Rayson was sort of interested in me as a person you know me being a, a white supremacists, him being an anarchist and you know, like it, it was these, it's these kinds of things that really like, in my case, in my experience, allowed me to drop a lot of those like preconceived ideas and a lot of those barriers and walls, you know, it's the approach we have to people, um, mm -hmm. which is what, cause if you, if you go kind of straying off subject a little bit, but if you go and just like attack somebody in what they're doing, even though what they're doing may not be right. And even though they might know that it's not right, it's what they're doing. And that's a part of like what their character and their self image is dependent on. And so if you just go and like, Oh, you're, Oh, you eat meat. Oh, you're that, 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 that. And you just immediately start criticizing and being like cynical and, you know, patronizing, then it's a wrap, you know, you're, you're never going to get that person because you're like condescending for one. And when you start being condescending to somebody, they're going to get defensive. And what's a defense? It's a shield. It's a wall. It's a, you know, it's a barrier. It's a trench, you know, and then what? It's a weapon. They're going to start firing back and then, you know, and then from there it's over with. And so the way my Eva like just, and, and the other person too was just really like, was kind of like, like they really tried to tolerate me being a meat eater, mm -hmm. right? Like I'll give them that. More curiosity than, than I suppose firing bullets. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Maybe curiosity, toler tolerance. Tolerance. Yeah. But that, that tolerance enabled them to not you know, throw shit at you, which would have put the wall up. Right. So tolerance right. is better than, <clears throat> you know, losing your shit in an, in an important conversation um, yeah, yeah. and, and losing the person. They, they gained, I suppose they gained your trust yeah. more or less. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And, and you don't have to, and you don't have to like agree with, somebody's belief system or, or anything to be able to appreciate that person's history and what makes them an individual aside from all those things. And I think from there, it's easier to sort of discuss those other bigger things, you know, but, and, and that was like how, you know, my Ava really, 
um, when I started talking to her, she, um, she even, and people will find this probably distasteful, but when she came to visit me while I was still in prison, um, uh, I eventually did go back to prison from the work release house too. But when she came to visit me up there, um, you know, they had vending machines and that's what you had to eat out of. And I was like, well, fuck, I need something like of substance, like give me a ham sandwich, you know? (laughs) And like, like she's like, I, you know what I mean? And just, she did it. And, and it's just, that's just understanding like the place on the path that a person is in and meeting them there and not expecting them to meet you all the way down at the other end of the path. You know what I mean? Like you have to walk with people sometimes to get to where you want them to be or where they may want to be or where you want to go with them, whatever. Right. And, um, it was her doing that with me, which really like, Here's the thing. She bought me a ham sandwich at the vending machine when she visited me in prison. The next time she came to visit me in prison, I decided that I wasn't going to eat a ham sandwich in front of her again. Because, like, you know. Out of respect. Out of respect. You know, like, I felt like she deserved that because she was, like, breaking her values in, like, morals, you know, ethics, whatever you want to call it, to sort of, um, accommodate me and so and so I stopped eating meat at our visits and stuff and um, and I was like that's that's like about the same time I transitioned to vegetarianism while I was still incarcerated I went back from the work release I got caught with a phone and I got a little bit more time too because I caught a staff assault on my way back but um, so I ended up doing how much how much more time did I end up doing three months more on the end of my sentence. I think it came out to like another, I don't know, six or eight months or something like that. Yeah. In my, about my last three months is when I stopped eating meat and really cut down on my dairy, you know? So how um, hard to, how hard is that to do actually in prison? Cause I assume that you don't have like a plethora of, of choices. So how hard is it to, to do this in prison? Dude, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. Um, all your vegetables and stuff you get in the chow hall are just like, they're steamed like to being just mush basically. And I don't know how that affects the nutritional value of them. Um, I've heard it does. I've heard it doesn't, but, um, you know, you have to, you go to the chow hall, you're trading your, um, your chicken patty for their broccoli, you know, which is like a s- scoop of mush. Like oversteamed broccoli. Mm-hmm. And you got to choose that over the chicken patty. And you got to choose that over the chicken patty, you know. And, um, yeah, you're, you're just trading all these things that, that are like the, where the – you know, where the substance is and the nutrition is to like this shit. And, um, then, uh, you know, if you have any, any money in there, you have to buy meat crumble substitute was like one of the, it was like a a meat, meat crumble alternative or something like that, which was like a brown bag that said like meat crumble substitute in like black letters on it. And it looked like, like, uh, like Bart chips or something. And it's super expensive and 
you know, you, you just have to do things like that or just like eat top ramen. Um, yeah. you know, um, yeah. And especially like having not, not really a lot of money. Like I, I'm lucky in prison, um, because I can draw really well and I do some really badass tattoos. And so people, you know, people would like, dude, I'll order you whatever you want off store. If you do this tattoo, and I'm like, cool. So I get my, my, my store that way. But most people, when you're on a 30 to $40 a month budget and a bag of meat crumble substitute costs $4, you know doesn't work it doesn't work no okay that's that's super interesting yeah i imagine it's it's hard i have heard of um i I told you on the phone the other day there's another guy dominic thompson that um yeah yeah, he he went vegetarian in prison and um i think basically when he got out was when he decided to go vegan because it was basically impossible in there to uh you know to feel full from the, from the food that was on offer. And then I suppose yeah. you bring, you know, the monetary component into it too, which is yeah. pretty hard. Yeah, it's, it is, it's damn near impossible. So then you get out and you decide to, <laughs> to commit to it? Yeah, I had decided to commit to it while I was still in prison. Okay. Like, I, I knew, I knew that cheese was going to be like an issue for me. Um, I'm an American, right? We love cheese, right? Um, and dairy's big in Oregon, from what I understand. Huh? Dairy is very big in oh, Oregon. Bi- yeah, 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 exactly. It's huge. You, you gotta have, like, from what, from everything we've been taught, if you don't drink milk and eat cheese, you're probably gonna die, right? From some kind of lack of something. Calcium. Right? <laughs> Calcium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and. And then you you do all these habits of eating and drinking this shit, which turns out is actually like bad for you. <clears throat> um, that you know, and the flavors and the textures and all those things become like this sort of like that's a part of who you are, right? It's a part of your your identity, yeah, your identity. totally. It's like, and it's it, it's good, right? You love the you fucking love cheese pizza. You can't have pizza without cheese. You know, there's like all these things. Like, how am I going to do pizza? How am I going to do cheeseburgers? How am I going to do fucking hot? ice like, cream? Vegan, right? Okay, yeah, ice cream. How am I going to do ice cream? Is like I can't. That's crazy. You guys are crazy. You know. Um. But you know, uh, my it helped me a lot. Like understand like a lot of these things and just like sort of, <clears throat> you know, just a, a lot of the health stuff around it. You know that you don't need meat. Like contrary to everything you've ever been taught, you don't have to have meat to survive. Like, in fact, like you're better off not having meat. You know, it's like, it's just these crazy things. It's these completely. Yeah. It's a lot more unlearning to do. Yeah. Totally. It's, It's, yeah. It's something that's been, you know, really entrenched in our minds from a young age. And you're right. Like we associate culture uh, all our social behavior around barbecues, around food, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, going to the movies and getting popcorn drenched in butter, like just all yeah. these activities that we're so used to doing, we don't realize that they're actually surrounded by food as well. And you have to change all that 
Yeah. Uh, and then we get worried about our identity, who we're going to hang out with. Yeah. Are people going to accept our new views? Like all these yeah. new things that we have to navigate. Yeah. So has it been a huge help for you to have my Ava come from Denver to to now live with you and you're on this path together is that helping you yeah 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 it's yeah it's um like help is like an enormous understatement because um before we had come up with this plan you know of what we were going to do with our lives um together um my plan was to go back to Southern California and, you know, just like, I I, I had no plan, you know, that was the extent of it. Go to Southern California. Well, you know, there's more, but I I don't, but there was no like deep plan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But yeah, I was basically go back to Southern California and just, and just basically just, you know, I, I had started to give up on, on ever staying out of prison you know, I've been incarcerated since I was 12. Yep. You know, I'm fucking 40 years old now and I'm, I'm still doing this. Right. And like, I had just come to a point to where, you know what, like I do okay in prison. I do okay on the streets when I'm not in prison. You know what I mean? Kind of um, becomes comfortable to an extent. It, it becomes acceptable. It mm-hmm. becomes like, yeah, you know, it, it becomes comfortable. Yeah. It becomes a lot of things like that it's you know you come to these sort of like existential fucking like realizations and just like you just you know fuck we are in the grand scheme of things like our lifespan is just really short anyways and then we're gone anyways so like fuck it you know kind of a thing and there's just a lot of different things about it you know and when you're getting knocked down and set back and set back and knocked down and knocked down and set back your whole life like you come to a point to where like you just don't give a fuck if you get knocked down again, you know, and then you come to a point to where, you know what, fucking knock me down. You know what I mean? Fucking knock me down. I'm going to give you reasons to knock me down. I'm going to make an art out of getting knocked down. You know, um, I'm going to get knocked down with a flourish, you know, and just you because there's really nothing. You, you've tried and this is not me, but this is. All, all the people, you know, everybody who's wrapped up in the system like this is you, everybody tries. Everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants better. Everybody cares about their family, right? Everybody cares about their children. Everybody wants better things, right? And they get out and they try and they get set back and they get knocked down. And it's so, yeah, you, you come to a point to where you just say, fuck it and just accept it, <clears throat> you know, and just roll with it. So what are your new plans? What, what is in store for you in the future? What have you been working on now since, you know, <laughs> since you've been living together uh, in Washington? Um, well, um, right now we're focusing on, for one, for me getting off supervision, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we can have like more freedom. Um, but on... But on a on a like bigger level, um, we're uh, oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, nah, you're all good. What are you What are you working on? What kind of stuff have you been doing? I know you're trying to get off. <clears throat> you said supervision. Um, yeah, um, 
Yeah, so, you know, like more immediately, we're trying to, you know, working on me getting off supervision so I don't have to deal with, you know, DOC and going back to prison anymore. Um, on, like, a grander scale, um, you know, we're both involved in activism. Um, Maya's huge into the vegan community and vegan activism. Um, I'm real big into anti-fascist work, um, anti-racist work. Um, and that goes back into my history with white supremacy. I think I'm pretty well equipped to do anti-racist work now, you know. Um, so, and I think they complement each other well. So we, uh, we both support each other in our activism and we go with each other to events and meetings and things like that. Um, like I said, I'm still involved with um, the, the IWW. Right now we're trying to build a chapter in Vancouver, bringing some more, um, some more comrades up there and doing some organizing up there um, against a lot of like uh, right-wing fascists up there. We're doing a lot of art projects, doing a lot of photography, um, trying to document a lot of the different activism stuff going on, um, especially here you know, in Portland, in this, this like part of the country and stuff, there's just a lot of stuff always happening and <clears throat> protest capital of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just about, we've been told that, you know, people like to stand up for what they believe in here. Yeah. It's, uh, they get pretty vocal. Yeah. Yeah. And they should, right? Totally. Don't yeah. sit down. Don't be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is great. I mean, and that's, that's why I came here. I mean, that's, if you don't like that kind of stuff and if you don't like vegan restaurants, like then this ain't your place, you know, it's also the vegan capital of the world in my, in my <laughs> humble opinion, there's uh yeah, some amazing restaurants here for sure. Yeah. And even, even the non-vegan restaurants, like dude, like you, yes, you got to have vegan options, man. Exactly. I'm actually options. pretty keen to go to Rudy's pizzeria, dude. We got to get there. We're interviewing Rudy, um, actually soon. We want to talk oh, about. That's nice. We want to talk about like bringing more vegan options to non-vegan places. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen their vegan menu? We haven't. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm actually even thinking like maybe tonight. I don't know what Anna thinks of that. Yeah. yeah but that could be a possibility. Yeah. Their their vegan menu. I couldn't even believe it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, mate. I got to say, I'm. I'm blown away by your story. Um, you know, I've, I've never sat down with someone and, and, and chatted about, um, you know, an experience such as yours. So firstly, I'd like to thank you for being so open and honest about what you've been through. Um, I really do appreciate it. And yeah, I, I wish you the best of luck in just continuing on this path. I'm stoked you've got you know, my Ava, um, and, you know, a partner you can kind of just lean on and, and continue and, and keep doing meaningful work as well. You know, the, the, the world, I suppose, needs more people like yourself that are, are so willing to do, um, you know, really much needed work in, in society and breaking down those walls that you have, you have talked about today. So, yeah, I really do appreciate your time, man. Cool, thank you. Yeah, and appreciate yours too and what you do also. Very cool, dude. Thanks very much. <clears throat> and uh, we'll... we'll um, I would like to... Can I give uh, our, our project a plug? Um, Absolutely, dude. 
Um, if anybody wants to see our work, um, <clears throat> Sentient Bloom um, Photography, and that's on Facebook. Um, also, you can check out... I, I'm still, like, reorganizing all my stuff, but that's um, Citizen Zero 541 on Instagram or... Uh, yeah, or just sentient bloom photography on Facebook for now. But um Perfect. Should be more to come with that too. So Perfect. Keen to check it out, guys. Um nice. so Sentient Bloom on Facebook and Citizen Zero Five Four Oh One. Five four one. Five four one on Instagram. Yep. Go check it out, guys. Can't wait to send this one live. Um yeah, I think yeah, you've got a really important message, mate. And yeah really looking forward to to getting this to the listeners so thank you awesome thank you cheers man hey guys if you're still with me thank you for sticking around that was certainly longer than usual and honestly we had more to chat about Uh, some things definitely got left on the table today we got to take a deep dive into the life of chase carter i really enjoyed learning about how it's possible for someone to end up in a situation such as his and all the ins and outs of his journey to date. Being wrongly accused and spending almost seven years of your life in jail must be an extremely difficult time, and also finding your way out of this cyclical system uh, doesn't seem to be much easier. It's a perspective I have taken no time in my life to understand, and I really do thank Jace for coming in and think I'm better off now having hung out with him and chatting with uh, chatted with him so yeah a huge thanks to you man for taking the time to come on the show uh, Anna and I really appreciate your time uh, it was awesome to meet Jason and his girlfriend Maeva they do have a photography page on Facebook so shout out to Sentient Bloom Photography if you're in the Pacific Northwest check them out give them a follow and if you need shots taken definitely consider them for your next shoot next week we have eileen godofsky moreno author of the colorful family table on the show to chat all things vegan kids pregnancy and cooking another topic i had very little knowledge on and one we all could learn more about looking forward to catching up with you all then keep it plant-based be nice to each other and move your body this week we'll see you all then